This episode of the 3D Insights podcast is sponsored by ATNS, a leading global manufacturer of high-end printed circuit boards and IC substrates. ATNS industrializes leading-edge technologies for mobile devices and substrates, automotive, industrial, and medical applications. With production sites in Austria, India, China, and Korea, ATNS has a global presence. The company is growing with expansion in Malaysia and a unique European competence center coming to Austria. To learn more, visit ATS.net. Hi there. I'm Francoise von Trapp, and this is the 3D Insights Podcast. Hi, everyone. You know, we often talk about how chiplet technologies are making it possible to build the most advanced microelectronic systems in the world. But did you know that the substrates these structures are built on are just as important to the advanced technologies as the integrated circuits themselves? Today, we're diving into this complex world, looking at both technical and commercial challenges and how they can be overcome when you work with the right substrate partners. Joining me for this conversation are Marcus Leitgeb and Tony Gwelli of ATNS. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. It's great to see you guys. Let's just start by having you tell me a little bit about yourselves and your roles at ATNS. Hello, Francois. My, my name is Marcus Leitgeb. As you said, um, I'm since more than 20 years with ATNS. I spent most of my time in R&D department. Uh, and basically, now I'm leading the team for microelectronics packaging, the R&D team here in Austria, but I also have a strong team in Chongqing. So we are really looking for future solutions, how to package the semiconductors of the future. Okay. And for those of you who may recognize Marcus's voice from last year, Marcus was our engineer of the year award winner for 2023. And we had a conversation back in March. So congratulations again on that award. And it's really good to have you with us. Yeah, thank you again. It was, I was invited also to the Hofburg uh, two weeks ago uh, to give a presentation to the former Chancellor of Austrian Republic about this about this award and the and the work behind. Oh wow, that's really really cool. I'm happy you shared that with us. So Tony, how about you? Thank you, Francois. My name is Tony Gwelly, and uh, I have been with the company approximately 16 years, and uh, most of that time has actually been spent in China. Uh, I lived in, in Shanghai for 15 years. We had a very large operation or still have a large PCB operation uh, in Shanghai. And we also had another facility for substrate-like PCBs, which is a more advanced version of circuit boards uh, in Chongqing. So I was the COO in our division mobile applications in Shanghai for the last 15 years. And last year, in, in March of 22, I made a decision to repatriate back to the U.S. I have a home in Arizona, and um, I decided to move back to Arizona. We created a sales role in the U.S. because, you know, what's happening in the substrate uh, industry, we didn't have a sales uh, activity uh, in the U.S., so that's what I'm doing now. I'm responsible for uh, sales for substrates in North America. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the conversation. So let's just get started with the basics. What is driving the need for these advanced microelectronic systems that we're making possible? There's a lot of things that drive the need. It all revolves around data, okay? 
whether it's data storage like cloud computing, which are you know the Googles, the Amazons, the the all of the banking, everything that that has to store data requires substrates. Speed of uh, of data is very critical. Um, whenever you use your mobile phone to order an Uber or to pay a bill or to purchase something, it happens instantly. We we expect that to happen instantly. And that's all about how fast you can transfer the data. So speed uh, is very important. Another key driver is what's happening in the automotive industry. You know, everything is connected. Your phone is connected to your car. Your car is connected to safety systems, satellites, radars, LIDARs, um, all that requires data. Those are really the main drivers in the industry that are, that are driving the need for all of these substrates. And if I may add, Tony, uh, I think also the node scaling alone doesn't provide the desired performance anymore. So the, the packaging is getting much more important. And therefore, of course, the, an IC substrate, which is doing this die-to-die -die connection, which is giving the power delivery to all the dies, I think this is really enabling then the future demands of the systems and the, and the architectures that are required in this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think that's really interesting because I don't think people really think about what's involved in getting data to transmit at certain speeds and in certain levels. And they don't think about all of the little tiny intricacies that are behind their smartphone or their computer or their car and how even just something that would seem as basic as the substrate is really quite complex. Why are substrates so critical to this equation? As we said, all these uh, future demands that we see from the system coming, uh, going up to maybe to how to connect 150 billion transistors in a package, how to connect 40 plus components in a package. Uh, this will not work with standard interconnect technologies anymore. And, and the substrate at the end, of course, uh, is giving, uh, let's say, a very solid foundation for all of these interconnects which are coming on top of a substrate. Yeah? So all these die, to con die connections, the 3D interconnects, they have to be mounted somewhere. They have to be uh, powered. They have to be cooled. They have to be protected. Or these are the main functions that the substrate always can deliver to a system. And, and therefore, we see that uh, the substrate uh, is really a critical path, especially for these high-performance computing uh, architectures. Do you sometimes see a disconnect with the advanced node technologies having finer and finer features? And at what point have the substrates had to be changed to catch up to that? What we usually see is really the, the interface from the chip then to the substrate, so the first level interconnect. Of course, this is also depending on the, uh, let's say, assembly industry. So how reliable is this interconnect? Of course, uh, the chips are, cannot grow anymore because, you know, the... They are too expensive uh, to have these kind of large chips on, let's say, not, not having a good utilization on the wafers. So this is why this chiplet technology is coming up. But at the end, the substrate has to reconnect uh, all these this chiplets. Yeah? And just scaling the node, of course, um, is good to maybe decrease the power within the chip and maybe to get more computing power in the system. But at the end, you have to bring this power also somewhere on the street. Yeah. So um, I always like to say a chip without the package is a nice looking piece of sand, maybe an expensive <laughs> looking nice piece of sand. But at the end, you know, the package is needed and the substrate at the end is 
always connecting uh, was it a chip to the outer world? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important point to make because I think that often people undervalue the substrate technologies and don't realize how important it is to realize the next generation of advanced packaging technologies. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Since COVID, we've been hearing about a substrate shortage. Um, what's the current situation? The current situation is that uh, since about, let's say, June, July of last year, um, we were up until that point, we were in a situation where capacity for substrates uh, was quite tight. Uh, in other words, there was more demand uh, that there was capacity. Since that time frame, June, July time frame 22, uh, that's changed. The industry found itself in an over inventory situation which basically drove the demand uh, to reduce, meaning that a lot of capacity became available. So we are now in a situation where, you know, the demand is much lower than the overall capacity in the industry. Um, so I would say we're in a down cycle. It's industry-wide, worldwide. And um, most projections are by the middle of 2024, we should start to see it go back up the other way. So for a supplier, what kind of strain does that put on suppliers to have to balance all the time this undersupply and oversupply? When you're in an undersupply situation, as a supplier, capacity becomes a premium, right? So obviously that drives a lot of things in a good way for a supplier like ATNS. Mm-hmm. Um, when you are in a different situation like we are, we are in now, it drives things the other way, meaning that you know pricing uh, becomes very competitive uh, amongst all of the customers. Prices tend to come down, obviously. So right. you can obviously demand a much higher price when you when when capacity is at a premium, and then you have the opposite effect when capacity is overabundant. That's really the main challenge is that how do you adjust pricing in order to keep a certain level of, of uh, supply coming in, into your factories? So that's really the, the, the main challenge. And at the same time, you know, we also know that the market will come back. It always does. It, it always does. You know, most people are predicting mid 2024 or whatever. We, along with our competitors, um, we are also in the middle of expansion activities. And that's the other balance that you have to do because those expansion activities must continue because we know that the market will come back and we need to position ourselves uh, in a way that we're ready uh, for that higher demand uh, when that happens. So, And that's why pricing and keeping the, the factory loaded to a certain level it becomes very important because you need to keep a certain amount of cash flow uh, to keep things going, if you will, and also continue with your uh, capacity expansion activities as well. Yeah, I think COVID taught us what happens when we don't maintain our capacities. So how do you balance all of that to keep the lights on? It is a balancing act. You need to keep a certain level uh, loading in the factory just to keep, you know, to obviously keep things going and, and obviously, you know, continue to make profit as well. We, along with other companies as well, sometimes you may need to do something that a lot of people don't like, and that's maybe reduce the, the, the workforce. Uh, 
uh, for a temporary amount of time. Um, but other activities that are key, uh, you mentioned R&D. You know, things like R&D, you cannot stop. That Those things must always continue. It's just like expansion activities. We know that the market will come back. We need to be able to have the right capacity when it does. Same as R&D activities. The technologies will not, you know, they will not go lower. As Marcus mentioned earlier, they, the challenges will, will continue to be there. So the R&D uh, activities must continue uh, because that's what keeps us, you know, on the leading edge, if you will. And uh, so it's a balance to keep all those things going. And uh, but uh, it's, you know, it's something that needs to continue. Okay, so we keep expanding, we keep innovating, and we cross our fingers for when the market comes back that we can support it. Yeah, I, I don't know if crossing the fingers is the right. <laughs> I like to think that we have good enough uh, analysts and, and data and industry leaders that we talk to mm -hmm. uh, and, and good, solid information that we base those decisions on. Mm -hmm. um, uh, crossing your fingers in this industry, I think, is dangerous. <laughs> um, I think you really need to to do your homework before uh, you know you make certain decisions. So I like to think that we make uh, inform informative uh, decisions. I just get a little cynical because I've watched the analysts change midstream their predictions. So I think that we always have a certain level of there's a wait and see in some cases. We see how things can pivot and shift suddenly. Can we talk a little bit about the U.S.'s situation with not having any substrate suppliers onshore, and what can we do about that? It is a fact that there's no substrate manufacturing in the U.S. What has drove that in the past, I think, is the obvious answer, which is, you know, cost compared to, to Asia or other parts of the world. Would it be nice to have something in the U.S.? Sure. I, I think you've got a lot of chip activity going on in the U.S., you know, Intel, you've got uh, the TSMCs that are doing large expansions, uh, you've got others. It would be good to have something onshore uh, eventually. It is something that not only ATNS, but also other companies, it's, it's on the table, it's being reviewed. Um, obviously, you know, those type of decisions don't come easy. So there's a lot of homework that needs to be done to do that. I think at some point we will see some sort of uh, substrate manufacturing, whether it's substrate specific or whether it's a full packaging uh, offer, uh, we're, we're not sure yet. One of the things you mentioned earlier is that you were in China for 15 years, and we're all aware of the geopolitical situation that's happening right now. How are these geopolitics impacting the substrate supply chain? It's a fluid situation. It, it, there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of discussion. Um, there's some fears, there's some risks. What the impacts are, I would say short-term, not very significant impacts. Long-term, I think because there are certain unknowns uh, between, let's say, U.S. and China, uh, China, mm -hmm. Taiwan, or what, what have you, um, there are some companies that are making a conscious decision to kind of step away uh, from China and start looking at activities outside of China. 
so we start to see some of that as well. And, you know, quite frankly, one of the decisions uh, that ATNS made a few years ago when we decided to do our very large expansion um, was to be outside of China because we already have something in China. Right. Uh, and that's why we chose uh, Malaysia to okay. kind of you know balance the risk, if you will. I think there will be more and more of a trend that companies uh, will start to transition out of uh, China in the future. Okay. And as an Austrian company, do you have to comply with U.S. sanctions in China? Absolutely. Yes, we okay. we definitely do. Yes. Let's shift gears here again and talk about some of the technical challenges that you're facing with designing substrates for chiplet applications. I think this is in your wheelhouse, Marcus. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, I think really, and here I think we should look at this from two sides. The ones first side is that the, what the customers are already asking us, so where the substrate is already designed in, into a system uh, where we see really challenges that the IO count is increasing dramatically. So therefore, so the body size is getting larger. The layer count is getting larger. Warpage control is getting more critical, uh, especially with all these layer counts. And therefore, also the yield, is maintaining a high yield with these very complex uh, structures, is, is, I think it's a, one of the key challenges. Of course, we also see that uh, in the future, people might also need mixed bump pitches. So this is a very, let's say, I would say um, a feature which was not happening before chiplet. Uh, and therefore, of course, we also have to find new ways how, how to control again the warpage, the CTE mismatch between the dyes and the substrate. So this is some kind of technical challenges that we see coming already from the customers. On the other hand, of course, if we what we try to do is we want to introduce new functions into the IC substrate. So for us, it's then getting really critical how to convince our customers that the solutions that we are offering, because we think that going away from, for example, from a two-layer core to a multi-layer or multifunctional core, maybe we maybe with embedded components, yeah, we think this could be very beneficial. So there, of course, we see challenges how to get the supply chain for the components, how to get the testing done, how to get a reliable interconnect. Yeah? And especially also in the future, if you want to integrate maybe also some kind of die-to-die connections into the substrate, of course, you know, we talk about maybe the two micron line in space, uh, so metrology yeah, would be also, I think, some of the te- challenges that we see uh, when, when we want to add more functionality to the IC substrates than they have nowadays. Uh, so this is what I see from the technical challenges. Okay, I want to touch on one of the comments you just made um, that I haven't heard before, and I thought maybe you, maybe you can explain it a little bit, is the multi-size bumps, dealing with multi-size bumps because of a chiplet architecture. Are you saying that the different chiplets have, because they might be of different nodes, the interconnects are going to be of different sizes that you're putting all on the same substrate? Is that what you mean by that? Yes, exactly. I think, of course, this is not the mainstream, but we see some customers asking this, uh, if we could support this. Yeah, I think on a silicon interposer, it's, it's quite simple. How to do this on an IC substrate? Um, I think it's, it's not so easy. Uh, and I don't talk about yet of a 55 micron bump, which I still talk about maybe of a, I don't know, 130 and 90 or 100 micron bump, which so how, how to accommodate this on a substrate and still keep, uh, keep it flat enough and the, the solder connect flat enough to have a reliable joint. So we have some chiplets being assembled on a silicon interposer. 
and other chiplet architectures being um, assembled on a, a, a substrate, a, a laminate substrate. Where's the line when we have to shift over and go between the laminate is no longer can support the requirements and that we have to shift over to silicon? Uh, it's a very good question. I think at the end, um, I would say that really depends on also on the IO count and also on the on the design behind. Uh, so is the is the customer able to to design the function into the to the board, or is it more comfortable to have an off-the-shelf solution with the interposer where you have all the uh, let's say the predefined phi and all the interfaces, hardware interfaces, which are let's say basically uh, somewhere in a, in a JEDEC, um mm -hmm. standard. So what we, of course, we try to push the limits of the substrate. So we want to offer a solution to the industry, maybe maybe to get rid of an interpose in the future so that we can maybe also have, let's say, a very fine pitch on the substrate. Yeah, of course, this is not so easy. Um, sometimes uh, it's really difficult not only to have the small vias, but also how to connect and the chiplets within okay. the substrate. So you need then also the fine line in space. This is our target in R&D, also to offer this solution as an alternative to the market. Yeah? Where the border is, it's difficult to say mm -hmm. because, of course, also the silicon interposer, they always will be ahead. Yeah, This is mm -hmm. no question. Mm -hmm. We work on the wafer, it's flat, everything is established. Uh, how far the substrate can be driven, I think this is something where, at the end, I will never stop uh, working at, but I don't see a limit at the moment. Yeah? But I also cannot see where, where the limit will be. Yeah? Are the advantages to move away from silicon primarily cost? It, I think so. I think, of course, the main driver for customers might be cost. Um, uh, for our case, we think that that maybe it could be also simplification in the supply chain. Maybe you would be have a, a higher degree of freedom where to source. Yeah, you're not maybe locked to into one system where you just get the interposer. Um, but of course, cost is one of the main drivers, but it's it's not the only one that we see. Okay. okay. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the announcement that Intel came out with about their glass core substrates for next generation advanced packaging technologies that they claim will be the way to go and making it available uh, in the next decade. Is this expected to replace our copper clad laminate of today's advanced substrates? Yeah, may, I may continue. Maybe Tony, you can add also some some thoughts later. Uh, I, I, of course, we in R and D have been looking at glass since a long time. You know, it, it's it's there since twenty years. There were ups and downs and uh, let's say opportunities. Um, I think on paper, glass has a lot of advantages. Yeah, and um, the question will be how to set up really a supply chain that, on the one hand, can maybe manufacture glass cores, and on the other hand, also how to uh, build substrates based on an ice on a glass core. So I think this is two questions that have to mm -hmm. be answered. Um, so this is why I think yes, I see also some really good potentials uh, to replace some applications with a glass core. I don't think that that all of the let's say copper clad laminate will be replaced uh, in the future, not even in near future. Yeah? So uh, I think that it's still some way to go especially uh, into, on establishing a, a stable supply chain for these glass core packages. I feel like we've learned in this industry that nothing ever really goes away, that we get new advanced technologies, but the existing technologies will always have a home. And it does take a long time for new things to be adopted. Um, if 
Intel wanted to do this shift or was able to do this shift as a substrate supplier, how does this impact your R&D plans? Yeah, as I said, we already have some experience, um, let's say also on what would be an impact if we uh, also deal with Glasscore. Uh, I think in some cases it maybe would be an advantage, especially if we want to integrate very fine line spacing, the glass mm -hmm. would be already very flat. So this would also offer some advantages if you really want to maybe introduce some that's a silicon interposer function on the substrate with the glass core. I think for us at the end, the question will be if we build our own glass core or if we just use a glass core. Yeah. And I think uh, so far we are looking, uh, of course, mainly on, on the builder players, uh, not, uh, let's say, how maybe to use maybe a glass core substrate uh, and, and then take advantage out of the, of the benefits that we get with a glass core substrate. Any final thoughts on how ATNS is addressing the technical challenges? Yeah, I think, you know, the goal of R&D is always to be one step ahead. Yeah? So in mm -hmm. order to be one step ahead, we, we have to understand our future customer pain points. And therefore, we really try always to better understand the system demand and why this is requested and what might be a technical challenge for our customers and then to come with the right solution. Uh, so this is more, let's say, on, on the brain power that we spend. Uh -huh. The doing, I think it's now really, we have a big opportunity that we will, we are building at the moment in Austria, a huge R&D center. So this is really, uh, let's say, a very advanced, um, let's say maybe the most advanced um, facility out of uh, Asia for IC substrate manufacturing with, with, with the R&D line. And I think in the future, we will have this unique position that we have this R&D center for embedding dye into substrates for build-up layer and also for having the core manufacturing here in Hinterberg. So we have all the three major building blocks for the IC substrate here at one site in Austria uh -huh. and having all and also, let's say, being open also for partners, uh, let's say, for co-development. Yeah. So I think we will not only from R&D point of view to make a proof of concept on a small scale, but we also will be able to run first prototypes out of this facility. And I think this gives us in R&D a unique playground, but also helps us to expedite our work uh, in, for future developments. That's excellent. I can't wait to hear more about that. You should come here and see it, yeah. I would love to, that would be great. I wanna thank you guys for joining me today and exploring this world together. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Very good, Francois, thank you very much. Thank you very much, yeah. Next week on the 3D Insights podcast, we'll be coming to you from Semicon Europa, recording live, beginning with speakers from the CEO Summit. There's lots more to come, so tune in next time to the 3D Insights podcast. The 3D Insights podcast is a production of 3D Insights, LLC.